Hey, Mustard. Thank you, Eden. Um, you know, this whole uh, experience, it's been really fun having Eden be a part of that and filming. And uh, Dan was even telling me they stood out there was a time lapse of like seven minutes in Winter Haven, which is where we're going. In a few minutes, um, if you're heading out there with us, I hope you brought some warm clothes. And uh, it was great. The conversations Dan said as they're standing there with this sign that you see behind me of God gives us for Christmas and just the conversations that would happen as they were out there in Winter Haven um, and the people that would stop by and ask, why are you standing here? Why are you holding this sign? And it's some really uh, neat conversations because this really is the essence of what Christmas is about. And really this whole series unto us has been about what God has brought and given and delivered to us in the person of Jesus. And so we've looked at some different things that, um, what that means, you know, that God with us, God for us, God through us is what we looked at last week. And that God gives us is really the, the summation of everything that we're pointing to and everything that we see in Christmas. Yes, there's Christmas stories that go underneath that. It's the Christmas story. It's Santa. It's all those things. And those are all narratives that flow throughout the Christmas season, isn't it? In fact, we talked a couple weeks ago about how confusing this season can be with all the different narratives that are going. But the one true narrative that's the baseline, that's the foundation of underneath all of this, is the fact of God's heart to give. In fact, we are in a season in just a couple days where you're going to give gifts and you're going to receive gifts, right? Some of you who are giving, you are hoping that you will be receiving as well, right? So here's what I want to do is to find out the, the, the kind of the percentage breakdown in the room that's represented here. And listen, you're in church. Uh, it's a library. I mean, it's an auditorium, but we're, we're church, okay? So you're in church. Don't lie. Um, turn to the person next to you and just say, okay, answer this simple question. It's real simple. We're just trying to find a percentage of where you are and where you fall in the spectrum. There's really only two ways you can go. Are you more apt that you like receiving gifts or you like giving gifts, okay? So if someone asks you which you give, receive, which one do you prefer, um, go ahead and talk to your neighbor right now. You have 15 seconds to find out which percentage they fall in. Do you like to receive gifts more, or do you like to give gifts more? All right, five, four, three, two, one, perfect. Now, how many of you are like me and you prefer to receive gifts? Go ahead and raise your hand and be proud. It's okay. You're honest, okay? You're the honest ones in the room. How many of you uh, fall in the other camp that you like to give gifts more? (sighs) Really? Because you're in church. Now, listen, um... Those of you who like to receive gifts, raise your hands real high again. Okay. All of you who like to give, look around. You have some wonderful people sitting next to you that you might be willing to. In fact, how many of you like to uh, receive gifts? Just raise your hand one more time. Real high, real high. Okay. Um, I saw your hand first, so let me just go back here. Because the older I get, the more I like to give. So... There you go. So. If 50-50. How many of you are the perfect split 50-50? How many of you are just saying that so you feel less guilty? Okay, perfect. 
Well, you can open it up now or later. You can uh, please don't share with your mom. It's all yours, okay? So, uh, giving, receiving is something that we do this Christmas season, and it's something that's going to exchange in the next couple days that you're going to be a bar. Um, and this whole idea of giving and receiving f- really finds its foundation, finds its purpose in God's heart. And this is what we've looked at these last three weeks, that God at the very core loves to give. How many of you watched football earlier today? If you did, maybe you saw a person holding a John 3.16 sign. Anyone know what that says? For God so loved that he, what? Gave. At the very core of who God is, out of motivated out of his love, he loves to give. And at Christmas time, we lean into that and remember that. For many of us, we even maybe sometimes grow up and feel challenged by that. We feel like, well, you know what? I've got to do enough stuff for God. But no, we have to realize God loves to be a giver at his very core. In the very first week, we looked at this idea of Emmanuel, what you just sang about. God with us. That his presence coming in Jesus is that greatest gift that we could ever have, that God's interruption was his intervention into your life and into my life and into the life of humanity, that it was an interruption in that silent night for 400 years before had been a lot of silent nights. But God interrupted with his intervention to say, I'm a God who's with you. I'm a God who's for you. Long before uh, all these situations and all these rules and all the ways that we tried to aim getting our life toward God, God said, enough of that. You'll never be good enough. I am a God who loves to give. I will go first. And he goes first. And he sends his son because he's a God who's for us. Not trying to help and and give us a pep talk of how we can try to be for him and do all these things for him in order to get him to like us. It's leaning into this truth that God is a giver at his very heart, at the very core of who he is. He loves to give. And so he gives his presence He gives his attention. He gives his provision for us in Jesus. And in that same time, we're invited in, not just rescued by this amazing grace that we sing about, that we hear about, that we lean into, but we're also invited into participation to be, uh, to shine like we looked at last week, to be the city on the hill and to shine in ways that people take notice of our great God while we do good deeds that point to him. And so all throughout the story of the original Christmas narrative is the story of what God gives to us. And I don't know if you've ever stopped to really think and and contemplate about that. I know it's stuff we think about on the go. And I know it's stuff we always think about when we see, like, the Charlie Brown special comes on. You're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Um, But I don't know if we really stop and just ponder and think about all of what God's given to us everything that he's provided, that he's gone first and done everything for us and invites us to just receive. And when you live from that position, when you live from that posture of your soul, it inspires you to want to give back to a God who can receive. One of the most fascinating things in the scriptures, when you read uh, Revelation 4.11, Um, talks about this idea that God is able to receive from us. Now think about that. We talked a little bit about the universe last week. Think about how big God is, 
how vast and how complex and how, how beyond God is. And yet, He can receive from you. He can receive from me. That you are worthy to receive honor and glory and power and to receive your worship, to receive your adoration, to receive from us that seems to not match up to who God is and where he is. And yet the scriptures over and over talk about how we can bring things to God and we can bring our requests to him. We can bring our prayers to him. We can bring our adoration to him. We can bring our praise, our worship to him. And that he is a God who receives it. He's not a God who kind of keeps us at arm's length and says, well, you're kind of a bother to me. That he actually enjoys receiving. Why? Because here's my hunch. When you give a gift in the next couple days, no matter how much fun it is to give, for those of you in the second group, there is a part of you that loves to receive also, right? And so there is this give and receive, this tension that lives there that's actually a good tension. It's meant to be there. And sometimes when we come to this realization of all of what God's given to us in Christmas, I don't know if you've ever felt overwhelmed beginning to ask the simple question, well, what do I give to a God who's given everything to me? I mean, it just seems like I don't have a whole lot to bring to him. I don't know what to bring to him. How do you give back to an almighty God who's provided for you, who's, who's done everything he can for you? How do you respond to that? Anyone else ever struggle with that? And sometimes it can feel daunting. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming, and sometimes it can feel like I don't know what to bring, and so we even just emotionally kind of shut down sometimes. So we just say, well, God, I guess I'm just going to be a taker, and I'm just going to take from you because you're a giver at your heart, and I don't know what to bring. That's why worship is so important. That's why we, we gather every Sunday and we worship because it, it's part of what aims our heart to say, God, you deserve you deserve praise. You deserve our honor. And the best we know how, we want to bring our best to you. Because you can receive from us. Because we know at the very core of who you are. You're a giver. And you give because it means something to you. And I want to look back at that original Christmas story. And I want to look, uh, maybe some of you know this, uh, and it might be a refresher to you. Some of you, maybe you don't know. Um, the story that unfolds in Matthew chapter 2, because it looks at these magi, these wise men. You've heard wise men. Anyone ever ha Do you have a major scene at home and you have the wise men in it? Um, that's probably not historically accurate, but um, it's a good thing and it's a good reminder. So if you have your Bible, you can go with me to Matthew chapter 2. And in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at what unfolds here as these wise men, these magi, they would have been from the land of the Medes and Persians, several uh, hundred miles away from where Jesus was and where he was born. And I, we told a little bit about this last week, that there was a light, there was a star, a new star that came into existence on the night Jesus was born. And that captured the attention of these magi. They would have been uh, maybe religious leaders, astronomers, uh, scientists. They would have had a lot of uh, sway in their region where they were in their country. And something captivated their attention so much so that it wasn't just something they tracked on a chart and they just noticed. It, it actually moved them because of some study and some research that they did looking back through old prophecies. 
even looking back into the scriptures of, uh, of the Jewish tradition, of understanding Judaism, and the prophecies that foretold about the Messiah and about Jesus. And they would have looked back at maybe even some of those ancient texts, and something moved their heart to actually pack up, I'm assuming on camels, because that's how we see them in the wise men. I don't know that. They probably didn't have a Ferrari, though that would have been cool. Um, But they head out and they go searching for Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 2, here's what we read. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, who is a major mess. We'll come back to that. Um, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They show up in Jerusalem. Why? If Jesus is born in Bethlehem, They show up in Jerusalem. Why? They came looking for a king, right? Where do kings reign in Israel in that time? Jerusalem. It's the capital, right? That's where you'd go. And so they show up because that's where King Herod, who is a total nutcase. Uh, If you've read anything about Herod, and I encourage you to read it, he, he literally is, he's one nut job. Um, in how he treats his family, how he interacts with his family, how he, uh, fearful is probably one of the biggest words to describe him. Just absolutely fearful of losing the power that he has. And so wise men show up, these magi from the east show up, and they start asking this thing about a king. Where was this king that was born? So if you're fearful and you have absolute power, what are you starting to think about? When there's another king? Well, that can't be. And so, in fact, you can go through and read some of the rest of the story there in Matthew chapter 2, and you'll find out that Herod actually, in a sly way, begins talking to these magi and saying, well, uh, why don't you go on a search for this king of the Jews, and um, you come tell me when you find him so that I can come worship him, okay? Which is not reality of what's going to happen. In fact, you'll read in historical accounts what Herod goes out to do and is kill every baby that's two and under in the whole region, because every male, because he wants to hold on to his power. He's a total nutcase and fearful of losing power. And so these magi show up. They're warmed in a dream as they go and continue to search for Jesus, not to return to Herod. An angel warns them. They go on. Their journey continues. They're searching. And it's about two years later, right? And you skip down a few verses, and you get down to, let's see, Uh, Verse 9, after they had heard from the king, they went on their way. The star they had seen rose ahead of them until it was stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to his house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. So for a couple of years, they've been searching, they've been on this journey. Everything pointing to this moment that they've arrived in. And they bow down and they worship Jesus because they know there's something significant about this child. They may or may not have been uh, followers uh, of the way, followers of, of God and that we would know in that region, that first century, because they're from the, the Medes and the Persians, which has different gods and different deities and different religious thought and all those things. But something has been transpiring in their heart along this path that they show up and they've brought gifts to Jesus. What's fascinating is they brought three gifts. So we usually call them the three wise men, right? 
the Bible doesn't say that there was actually three. We don't know that. So next time you're walking by a manger scene tonight, maybe at Winter Haven, and you see three wise men, you could be like, well, we're not totally sure that's uh, historically accurate. I'm sure people would love to continue that discussion with you. <laughs> Probably not. Don't be a snob. Um, but they show up at Jesus, and they bring three gifts to him. The first one is they bring gold. Now, if you're Mary, and your husband is a carpenter, so you're a tradesman, right? And you're in this place, you probably don't have a lot of money. So if someone shows up with gold, that good thing or bad thing? That's a sweet thing, right? Uh, you're here to see who? Jesus. And you have what? Gold. Come on in. So Come right in. Can I get your tea? Um, so... We have a gift for your son. They show up and they have this gold. Now, gold is the currency of kings, right? It's only kings would have this. And so they show up with this currency that speaks of the royalty of who Jesus is. He's a king, but he's not a king like the world knows of. He's not a king like Herod, who's going to hold on to power through strength and might and conquering. Jesus is a king of a different realm and of a different movement and one that's going to face and really face off with the powers that be a few years down the line. Because his kingdom is of a different realm and of a different world. But he is a king nonetheless. He's the king of kings. There is no other. There is no other name that is above or even beside Jesus. It's him and him alone. And somewhere along the way, like they don't stop at Walgreens to pick up gold, right? So there's something was very thought out in the gifts that they bring. They don't just stop and pick it up on the way at Walmart of the day, right? They, they thought this through. They pick up gold because they realize this, this is a king. He's not just an ordinary child. There's something about him. The next one they bring, they bring frankincense, which when I was a little kid, I always thought was a monster, <laughs> Frankenstein, I don't know. Uh, but frankincense, right? The last part of that word being incense. And here's what we know about frankincense is it's an incense that was burned um, to kind of cover up things. So I guess if you're having diaper smells in the house, that would be nice. You got gold, that's nice. You got frankincense, that'll help cover up the diaper smell. That's awesome. Come on in. Um, but frankincense was something that was actually burned on the altar of incense in the temple, in the Jewish temple. In fact, it would have been burned uh, continuously, 24-7. Because what they know, what's one of your strongest senses that you have? Smell, right? In fact, there's a lot of research that said that when you, you can actually smell something and remember a scene or remember a, a setting or an experience that you had years ago, right? Simply from a smell. Like a camping trip, guys. Stop. So, um, so smell is something that can generate a thought, a memory. It can bring those things. And so incense was burned in the altar of incense in the Jewish temple 24-7. This frankincense would be burned. And it spoke from a Jewish mind. They would have understood that this speaks of God's presence with his people. That God's fully present with his people. So these magi show up and they bring frankincense, which they are pointing out, this is God in a bod. This is God, God's presence brought to his people that he is now present with. He is what? Emmanuel. He's with his people. This is a very significant child. This isn't something that's just um, kind of to, to 
a nice tack on. This is speaking volumes about what they're bringing to Jesus. Now, you got gold. That's awesome if you're Mary or if you're Joseph, right? You got frankincense. That's nice. And then you got the third one, which is what? Myrrh. Anyone know how to spell myrrh? I'll help you. M-Y-R-R-H. Okay? It's really weird. Uh, But myrrh. Anyone know what myrrh is? Myrrh is an oil. It's almost like an embalming solution. So think about that for a second. You're Mary. You're in the house. Someone knocks on your door. It's three dudes with turbans and camels. And they're there. We're here to, uh, to worship your son. We're here to see your son. We've brought gold. Come on in. You brought frankincense. And that'll do nice. We brought myrrh. Myrrh? Really? Every mind would have known in that time, myrrh was used as this oil that helped embalm uh, burial clothing. There was something very significant about this gift. It's a weird gift to bring to a children's party. Don't ever do it. Can you imagine Mary looking at Joseph in that moment and being like, look, they brought myrrh for a baby. Myrrh. Because somewhere along the way, these magi figured out that it wasn't just the birth of this child. In fact, the the main significance of where this life was going was going to be encapsulated in his death. There was something significant about where his life was going and how his death would be significant in history. So gold, frankincense, and mercy. What you have to understand is these magi had specific purposes for what they brought to Jesus. There was significance in what they were saying through those gifts and through what they brought to Jesus. It was significant. It had meaning. See, here's what we have to understand about Christmas. What you bring to Christmas says an awful lot about what you believe about Jesus. So I don't know about you. I was thinking this week, what am I bringing to Christmas this year? Here's what I know we're all bringing. Stress. Okay, because you just can't go through the season without feeling a little bit of stress, right? Who's with me? Yeah. I, I bet you're bringing a little bit of tiredness. It's the end of the year. You've been running all year, and I bet you're bringing a little bit of that too, right? So those are givens. But here's what I know. For some of you, you're bringing a whole lot more. In some ways, it's a good thing. I know some folks that are bringing an expectation because they're expecting their first child. And what this next year is going to unfold, and this is the first Christmas of what that's going to be, or they just had a child. And all the dreams and hopes and visions of what that's going to be and what that's going to unfold into in the months and the years ahead. And they're bringing that expectation of that joy to this moment. And I know others of you, you're approaching this Christmas and the relationship that you had went south and you don't know how to fix it. And you know God's heart is to reconcile and to restore relationships, but you don't know if that's going to be how your story plays out. In fact, you don't know if you're going to wake up in 2015 and the story is going to go a different direction. But here's what I know. God walks with us when we're together and he walks with us when we're alone. And he will walk with you. I know for some of you, you got into your first house this year. You got into a brand new job. 
and you, you bring to Christmas the joys and the hopes and the, the fun of what that is. For others of you, you lost your job. It was taken away, and you didn't choose it. It was just kind of dealt and handed to you, and you stand here approaching Christmas, and you're going, what? I'm just tired, and I don't, I'm confused, and I'm, I'm fearful, and I'm worried. And so you bring all of that with you into this Christmas season. Maybe a whole bunch of other different things we could plug in there and insert in for your specific situation, right? You may be a mixed bag. Maybe this has been a good year. And so you got some joys and you got some heartaches. You got some wishes that haven't come true that you wish you'd have. And you got some battles and struggles that you're facing, but you also have some great hopes and great experiences that happened for you. And so you're coming to Christmas with something. And here's the beauty of what this original narrative Christmas story tells us. We can bring the good and the bad to Jesus. We can bring gold and we can bring joy and we can bring the hope that that brings. And we can also bring myrrh and we can bring the stuff that we don't like and that no one wants to talk about. And we can still bring that to Jesus. And all throughout the scriptures, outside of the Christmas story, here's what we're told. In Psalm 100, you enter the courts of God with thanksgiving and praise at the highest of eyes. And 1 Peter 5, 7 says, you can cast all of your anxiety upon God because he cares about what happens to you. So no matter where you are in this Christmas, you can bring your all to the God who's given you all. You can bring all of who you are to the God who's given all of who he is to you because we follow a God who loves to give and he also loves to receive. And guess what he loves to receive? Anything you'll bring him. He'll take you uh, and take your worship and it's awesome and it thrills his heart. But he'll take your heartache too. Because he's a God who's with you. He's not a God who says, look, you got to get your act together. you got to get this thing fixed, and then you come see me. No, no, no. That's not the Christmas story, is it? The Christmas story is, whew, that's a mess. I'm going to go fix it. And God puts on a body, and he goes first, and he comes close, and he's Emmanuel. We're not. He is. And so God says, I love to give. And I'm going to give into your life. And, and I'm not the slot machine God who just, you pull the lever right and you get all the blessings in the world and you don't have any heartaches. No, this is about real life. And this is about a real God who walks through real life with us. And so he brings and he gives his best. And he invites us to give back to him and to bring our all wherever we are on that, that spectrum. And so here's my encouragement to you between now and Christmas Eve is we have a little uh, kind of gift tag ornament type thing here on every communion table. So in a few moments when we take communion as we continue in worship, I'm going to invite you to take one home with you. And I'm going to invite you to do a couple different things with it. One is I'd love for you just to contemplate this last year. And I'd love for maybe for half of this side, you just kind of say, God, I just want to thank you. 
you have blessed me in a lot of different ways. And maybe you just take real small, just kind of write out some of the things that you're thankful for, of how God's given you things, given his presence, given his comfort, given his encouragement, given his provision, given all these different things, whatever that may be for you, to take a moment and just list that, or to write down a couple of things that stand out to you and just thank him for it. And then maybe on the other half of this, you're just going to say, God, here's some stuff I'm bringing to you. And maybe it's I'm bringing you praise because you are a great and good God who watches over me, has protected me, watched over my family, helped us through some heartache. And so you want to bring that to him, to bring praise. Maybe going into this next year, you want to give to God. You want to give like you've never given before because of all of what he's given you. And so you want to honor him that way. Maybe you want to serve like you've never served before. And so you're going to bring that. God, I want to bring my servant heart to you because I know you can use it to do something great and something grand with. And so you bring that to him. Maybe you've got some heartache that you're carrying around. Maybe you've got some worries, some anxieties, some fears, whatever that may be. The invitation this Christmas is because we serve a God who loves to give and who can also receive. He says to us, I've done everything. I've taken care of it all. And I'm totally fine with you bringing everything you have. You bring your all to me and we'll work on it together. Isn't that awesome? That's the beauty of this Christmas story is that we can lean into the fact that we can bring our all to the God who's already given us all. And that we don't have to be bashful about that. Listen, we don't have to be fake about that. One of the struggles in our culture is people who are fake. You, aren't, you don't like it. I don't like it. And so don't try to be that with God this Christmas. If your heart is hurting, you can bring that to him. He's okay with that. It doesn't knock him off his throne. It doesn't throw him for a loop. It doesn't startle him. You can bring it to him. And you can say, God, this Christmas, I need to lean into the fact that you are a God who's with me, that you are a God who's for me, and that you are a God who gives to me all the time, way more than I deserve. Because that's grace. You get what you don't deserve. Because God's heart is motivated. God so loved that he gave. That's his motive. His motive isn't anything else but love. And it's deep love for you. Maybe uh, you are just kind of coming back to church, and uh, I think it's awesome that you're here. And I hope that maybe somewhere in here you're beginning to sense that maybe the God that you've pictured, the God that you've read about, the God that you've heard, that you've created in your own mind, maybe isn't the God of the Scriptures. And maybe there's some dissonance there that needs to be there, that can begin to chip away at seeing God for who He really is, that He is a giver at His very core, at His very heart. And because he's a God who's given everything to us, that's what we remember this Christmas in Jesus, is that we can be a people who are real and bring our all to him. The good and the challenge, right? And so this week, I want to challenge you to take five minutes. If you want to read back through Matthew chapter 2 and this story that unfolds here, you're welcome to. But take five minutes and just take this card Jot down a few things that maybe you're thankful for and a few things that you're bringing to God, whether that's the good highs of life or the struggles of life, and bring that to him. And then I want you to hang it on your tree, okay? So that when you walk by over the next couple days, you you see it, and it just jogs your memory. 
to that exercise that you got to do with God. Make sense? So that's the homework. That's the assignment. That's the invitation, the moment that hopefully you can have this week. Just you and God. Take five minutes and write out something you're thankful for, something that you're bringing to God. Because what we bring to Jesus, what we bring to God at Christmas, says a lot about what we believe about Jesus. Is God, is Jesus big enough to handle my hurts? Big enough to handle my fears? Big enough to handle my worries? Yes, he is. Is he big enough to carry and rejoice with me in my joys, in, in my, uh, my excitement in life? Yeah, he is. He's big enough for both. And so would you just pray with me and we'll continue on in just a few moments uh, in communion, remembering uh, Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, remembering again, anchoring ourselves to the, the truth and the reality of all of what God's given us in Jesus, in the birth of Jesus, in the life, in the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So, Father, we are... Uh, we stand in the cusp of Christmas. It's an exciting time. God, in honesty, it's, it's a thrill in some ways. In other ways, it's taxing. Um, it's tiring. God, maybe for some of us, we stand at the cusp of coming toward the end of a year, and, and we're tired, and we're worn out. We're, we have some fears and anxieties going into the next year. We've got some things that we've been carrying that just weigh us down this whole year. God, would you remind us this Christmas season that you are a God who's big enough to carry those things for us, that you actually long for us to bring that to you. And as we bring it to you, that you are a God who is with us. You are a God who's for us. You comfort us in the midst of it. You encourage us in the midst of it. You put good people around us. You give us wisdom to make wise decisions. You don't leave us alone. You are Emmanuel. So, Father, in the swirl of all the Christmas chaos that exists, would you help us to find time just to remember and to unplug and to plug into you and to thank you and to bring to you anything that we need that you are trustworthy to carry it with us? Because you love us and you're a God who gives so, Father, as we take communion here in a moment, as we worship in a couple more songs, would you stir our hearts to be a people who bring our all to you? Because you're a God who gave your all for us. Thank you, Jesus.